all of our mind, heart, spirit, and body, Lord. We want to love others as ourselves, Lord. So we ask You, Lord, by Your Spirit that You'd be here with us and that You would do this as Your Word is taught and preached. Lord, I need You. And Lord, I am inadequate to serve You and Your people. So I cry out, Lord, for mercy. I thank You for the mercy and grace of Christ, His blood and righteousness. And we thank You for the gifts of the Spirit and the presence of the Spirit. And so we look to You. Our confidence is in You this morning. So come and speak. Do wonders. Do these things, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We're in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18-25. to 25. Peter has been teaching us about the wonders of life in Christ and what that means. He's been leading us and learning how to live as elect exiles. Those that belong to God, those that are beloved of God and chosen, yet those that live in a world that is, is not really our home. And so he's bringing wonderful truths to us as elect exiles. And this section fits in this instruction. Verse 18 says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. 1 Peter 2, 18-25 On February 28, 1944, the Nazi Gestapo arrested Corrie Ten Boom, her sister Betsy, her extended family, and 30 people in total in Holland. Corrie and her family uh, were providing shelter to Jews and members of the Dutch underground. It's estimated that they saved over 100, 800 Jewish people and a number of Dutch patriots through what they were doing, sheltering them in their home and providing assistance as well. They were all sent to concentration camps and the like, and 
Betsy and Corey were eventually sent to, I think it's Ravensbrook concentration camp. And I still remember vividly the first time I read about this in the book, The Hiding Place. Later I saw the movie. Still vividly remember a scene, a particular scene, where there's a brutal female prison guard beating Betsy. Betsy was this sweet, kind, gentle Christian woman. Uh, and she had been advocating to Corey to forgive their enemies, to pray for their enemies, and, and to, to, to not retaliate in bitterness or in action to how they were being treated. And I remember vividly in the book this scene where this prison guard is, is over Betsy beating her and Corey wants to lash back. And, and if I remember right, Betsy's exhorting her not to do that. I remember reading that and, and looking at Betsy's response and her exhortation to Corey and being so angry that I wanted to jump in the pages of the book and throttle that prison guard. I can still feel the same thing when I see the movie and just even think about it. Have you ever felt like that? When you've seen some sort of injustice such as that? This sweet woman being beaten by a an evil guard. I find myself often, when I read about and hear about those things and experience those things, I, instead of acting like Betsy Ten Boom, I act and feel more like Batman or Wolverine or Jack Bauer. I want to come on the scene and right all the rights and right all the wrongs and eliminate all the criminals. I need the truth of today's passage. I need the stark truth of this passage today. How about you? The Bible has much to say about aggressively pursuing kingdom justice. That is there in the Scriptures. There's a place for that. But the predominant response we're called to in this passage and really the entire Scripture is one of patient Godward endurance in the face of injustice. That is the predominant attitude and action we are called to. We are called to keep our eyes on Jesus and to continue to do good in the face of injustice. To endure. And this passage today teaches us to endure that injustice because one, it pleases God. It pleases God. Two, because it exemplifies Christ. It is to walk in His steps to endure injustice with our eyes on God. And thirdly, because of the wonderful good news of Christ, we are called to endure injustice. In this section, Peter is continuing to teach us about living as elect exiles. And he's addressed uh, previously, we looked at last week, about relating to governmental authorities. And now he starts this section calling slaves to submit to their masters with all respect. That's how he starts out in verse 18. And we learned about that, this, this being subject or submissive, submissive to a master or an authority is ultimately grounded in the, the truth that God Himself is over the arrangement of what authorities are over us. He is 
He is behind that and over it. And when we submit to these authorities, we are ultimately submitting to God who is behind these authorities. And so we see this call here for servants or slaves uh, to submit to their masters. Understanding this. And in ancient Rome, uh, slavery was common. Uh, it's estimated that about a quarter of the population of Rome in the Roman Empire were slaves. And they were slaves that were, were served in all sorts of ways. They were all types of ethnic backgrounds. All sorts of people were slaves. And they served in all sorts of roles. Things as guardians and tutors, or even shop owners, accountants, clerks, as well as field hands and some of the unskilled and undesirable roles as well. This slavery of the, of the Roman Empire was, was very different than the, than the racist, oppressive slavery of the 19th century America. It certainly had its problems too. The Bible never endorses slavery. As a matter of fact, the Bible condemns slave trading and encourages the elimination of slavery. But slavery existed. Slavery existed in Peter's day. Sadly, slavery exists even today in parts of the world. And the first order of business for the slave before God was to submit to his or her master. So Peter calls for this. He calls for the slave to submit with all respect to their master, with God in mind. And then he starts to talk about the situation for probably many slaves, that they are called to submit not only to the masters that were good and kind, but also to the unjust Ones. And then he starts to he launches into this section talking about living in a place where we're experiencing injustice and enduring this injustice and doing it in light of God's perspective on it, in light of Christ, in light of the gospel. I don't think Peter is just thinking about slaves and masters as he goes on from this point, because even previously in a previous section he talked about Christians being slaves to God. I think Peter is getting at something bigger than just the particulars of a slave and his or her master. I think what he's doing here is he's wanting to address all Christians. Because the reality is that all Christians and all people live under authority. No matter who you are, where you are, you are under authority. You are under somebody who has and hold some sway over your life, who is in charge of something that intersects your life, who can determine to some extent what goes on with you, what your quality of life is. We are all under authority. We are all, in a sense, slaves under some sort of master. And Peter wants to bring truth to this experience that we all have. How are we to live under authority? So this passage is for all those that are under authority. Because if you are under authority, you are like, in some ways, a slave under a master. And as one under authority, though God uses authority largely for good in our lives, because of the sinfulness of men and their limitations, the sinfulness of mankind and limitations, there will be injustices for all of us. 
There will be times when those authorities over us, whether intentionally or unintentionally, work some injustice in our lives. This passage isn't just for a slave and a master. This passage is for every human being. It's for us today. Peter wants to bring these truths to us because we all live in this reality. So we are all under some authority. Just to think of some of them. Wives. Wives are under the authority of their husbands. Whether they like it or not, there, there is a reality of this functioning in their lives. Just even the natural way that God's made things. But also the call of God in Scriptures for wives to be submissive to their husbands. To be under the authority of their husbands. God has designed it that way. And husbands, by the way, don't take the ball and run with it on that. Because your call is to lay your very life down for your wife. You are to give yourself away for her good. We'll talk about that later as we move through this book. So there's no uh, get-out-of-jail-free card there. But nevertheless, wives are called to submit to their husbands. And there will be injustices there, even with the very best husbands. There will be some sort of injustice. Some of those injustices, certainly the, the gross injustices and abuses, are not to be tolerated. There's a higher authority over us and over, over couples that prohibits that. So that is to be addressed by the authorities and so forth when that goes on. But there are injustices that fall short of that that we will, that women will experience under their husbands. It might just be the injustice of unreasonable division of labor in the house. For example, the wife cleans the house. The wife does the laundry. The wife cooks the meals. The wife cares for the kids. The wife entertains the guests, and the husband does the hard work of pressing the controls to change the channel while his wife works hard. Yeah. That's an injustice. It could be maybe the husband is diligent. Maybe he works really hard in the house. Maybe he's very involved in the children's lives. Maybe he works really hard at work. But he doesn't take that same diligence and apply it to the pursuit of his wife and relationship with his wife and romance with his wife. That's an injustice. And wives, you will experience these injustices, even from the very best husbands. You will bear injustices. In the workplace, as well. We all, pretty much all of us, work under some sort of boss or authority. There will be times when your boss does not recognize what you do. There will be times when maybe you put in tons of overtime and you work really hard and, and you were actually the person that got that great sale or got that great contract or whatever it might be and you don't get recognized. Maybe even the credit goes to someone else. There might be situations where you're just not paid the way you should be paid. There will be injustices at work. That happens for all of us. There will be injustices under our government, under the authority of our government, intended or not intended. I have a friend of mine who, who some years ago, he was a, a dishwasher at a restaurant, made almost nothing, could barely cover his rent, probably had no spare change ever. And there was some sort of mix-up with the IRS, 
and they thought that he had sold a, a lucrative property in Wisconsin or wherever, somewhere up there. And, and, and so they said, you owe taxes on this. And they docked his pay. He's a dishwasher. They docked his pay and started making him pay thousands and thousands of dollars for this, for this property he never had. He never owned it. There was Somebody got a hold of his Social Security number or whatever. And no matter what he said, and no matter what others said, they would not change their minds. They continued to dock his pay. They said, we're, we're going to dock your pay and we'll work on figuring out what really happened later. That's an injustice. That stuff happens. I don't think the IRS meant to be mean. They were probably following protocol, whatever, but it was an injustice. Children under parents. You guys, uh, as children, you are going to experience injustices. Your parents are not perfect. Though God uses your parents largely for good, there will be injustices. There are times when their motives will be mixed. Matter of fact, their motives will be mixed all the time, to some degree. There will be times when their preferences... And what they want will filter into how they relate to you. And you will suffer injustices. Sometimes it's just privileges you're given. Maybe it could be you could be a Cinderella under an evil stepmother, perhaps. Maybe that's injustice you find. Or it might just be that dad comes in and doesn't see the whole situation and sis is fussing that brother is playing GameCube and dad doesn't know the whole thing. He says, all right, you're done. Sis's turn, and it turned out that Sis had been doing GameCube all along, and there's some injustice. You have to give up your GameCube turn. Oh my, that's terrible, but that's an injustice. There will be those sort of things for all of us in all these different roles, whether in marriage or family, at work, in the community, and even in church. It will happen. It will happen. Lord forbid that it's intentional. But unintentionally, there will be injustices for all of us under some sort of authority structure. The question is, how do we respond to this? How do you respond to injustices? Are you more like Batman or Jesus in how you respond to injustices? Peter calls us clearly to follow in the steps of Christ. He gives us reasons to endure these injustices. He says here, as we continue on, for this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Then he spends some time clarifying the, the sort of sorrows, that they're not deserved sorrows that he's talking about. He's talking about undeserved sorrows. He's talking about injustices. And then he says it again at the end of that section. Do you see that in the... In that section, he says the same phrase again at the end. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. He starts off, this is a gracious thing, and then he describes the situation. Then again, he says, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Isn't that fascinating? It's a gracious thing in the sight of God. There are things that impress God. It's commendable, it says in certain translations. There are things that impress God. One of those is when people endure injustices with their eyes on God. That impresses God. It's a gracious thing in His eyes. God's appreciation of beauty is very different than ours. Recently, uh, 
You guys have probably seen this. Susan Boyle. Anyone know the name Susan Boyle? She sang on, on the British version of American Idol. And, and it's on YouTube. It's had a, it, well, I'll tell the story first and I'll tell you more. Uh, so you can see it on YouTube. She, she came up and, and she came out on stage. And Susan Boyle was, uh, she's middle-aged. She came out in a dress that was older than she was with frumpy hair, bushy eyebrows, and a double chin. And the judges and the audience mocked her as she came out. She came out and, and, and said her stuff, and they mocked her until she started singing. And she sang the song, I Dreamed a Dream from Les Miserables, and it was fantastic. And the judges, uh, I don't know if you know Simon Cowell, he's the bad guy, just, just with a big smile on his face, just listened to her sing. And at the end, they gave her an, a standing ovation. There's a She's received her YouTube version of this. It's on YouTube, over 100 million hits. I think it's going to exceed anything, any other video ever on YouTube. Her performance left the judges in the audience in shock, and they apologized for misjudging her. Susan Boyle's hidden beauty is like the hidden beauty of those who endure injustice with their eyes on God. The world may see a 48-year-old loser or whatever, but God hears the singing and is impressed. It is a gracious thing in the eyes of God. When you wives, when you employees, when you citizens, when you children endure injustice with your eyes on God, it's a gracious thing in His sight. He's impressed by it. Have you ever read Acts 7 carefully? That's the account of the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was a man who who preached the Gospel clearly and because of that was hated by the people and by the authorities in particular, the religious authorities. And they they stone him. They get ready to put him to death. And if you read through that in Acts 7, you'll see as he's preparing to die, it says he, he saw heaven and the glory of God and it says he saw Christ standing at the right hand of the throne of, at the right hand of God. Now, the reason that's notable is that usually Christ is depicted as seated at the right hand of God. But as Stephen prepared to go to be with the Lord, as he endured this great and gross injustice of being stoned for merely communicating the truth in love to his hearers, Christ was standing the right hand of God. Christ, in a sense, was standing, waiting for Stephen and giving him a standing ovation as he gave his life unjustly. There are things that impress God. One of them is when we endure injustice with our eyes on God. This is a gracious thing in God's sight. That's why we do it. That's why we're called to do it. Also, Peter teaches us there are other reasons that fit in with this. He says, for, this, for to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in His steps. Christ has left a pattern for living for us of enduring injustice with our eyes on the Father. He has left us an example that we might follow 
in his steps. A pattern of living. If anybody ever has endured injustice, it's Christ. If there ever was a gross injustice, it was that done to Christ. The greatest injustice ever done was the rejection and crucifixion of Christ. If ever there was someone who deserved kindness, it was Christ. If ever there was one who deserved respect, it was Christ. If there was ever anyone worthy of our love and affection, it was Christ. If there was ever anyone that deserved to be king over us and to be listened to and honored, it was Christ. He was worthy. If ever there was one who was completely innocent and guileless, good and great, it was Christ. And what did we give Him? Rejection. Crucifixion. And yes, I said we. Because the reality is, if we were there, we wouldn't have been much different. Left to ourselves. I know for me, Before I became a Christian, I overtly mocked Christ in front of my friends. I would have given Him the same. We gave Him death, torture, ridicule, and hatred. There has never been an injustice like that done to Christ as He was crucified. Peter says he committed no sin. He's Bringing off of Isaiah 53 in this latter section. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. We're called to follow in Christ's steps. To be a Christian is to be like Christ. To endure injustice for God's sake. Is that what you do? When you are sinned against, do you refrain from sinning? When you are reviled, when others mock you or give you a hard time, disrespect you, do you refuse to revile back? When suffering at the hands of another, do you refuse to threaten? If you do that one more time, so help. Jesus refused to threaten, to revile back, to sin. We must as well. So often, though, we don't. So often, I do not. The reality is, is I am miserable at enduring injustice. There, it takes very little, actually, for me to, to do poorly in this area. A couple of ways for me, driving, sorry, bringing driving up again, and family life. Just the other day, I was uh, at a four-way stop sign, and if there's ever been a, a, a system designed to deal out injustice, it's the four-way stop sign. You guys know the rules on the four-way stop sign, right? The first one to come... There, if there's nobody there, it has the right of way. And then it goes which direction? Counterclockwise or clockwise? Clock, yeah, it goes around this way, right? Counterclockwise. Right. Maybe, that, maybe that's my problem. <laughs> so, so 
and, and everybody gets it mixed up, including myself, obviously. And so it's a system designed for injustice. Anyhow, it was, it was uh, the four-way stop sign, actually the one right out here that I was at. And, and the first guy got there, and then I got there right after he did. And then there was a, a motorcycle behind the first guy. And the first guy went, and then it was my turn. And I went, and the motorcycle guy thought that he should go next. But he was right behind the first guy, right? So I'm, is it my right to go next? Everybody confirm that? I thought so, too. I thought so. I thought I had it right. The motorcycle guy didn't like that, though. So he got right up on my tail as I drove down the street after my turn. And that was an injustice. Now, now, just a context here. I probably deal out many more injustices to others than I received on the, on the road. Uh, so I'm sure you assume that. But, uh. <laughs> but this little bit of injustice... And my temptation at that point was to slow down, go really slow. Go like five miles per hour down the road, wave to them out the window. Now, I didn't do that because I had to preach this Sunday. No, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. Uh, I didn't do that, thank God. Um, I, I hope it was for better motives than that. And I'm learning to apply this, but, but I struggle just driving, receiving injustice. I struggle in relationships with those that are closest to me in doing this. And I would submit that for you, that's probably the chief area. Dealing with injustices from those that are closest to you. Maybe they don't give you the attention that a good, healthy relationship should have. Maybe they come and they accuse you of doing something. I do that at times. You assume somebody's done something wrong and you come to them and, why did you do this? Or, do you know who did this? And, And it's not like, I'm trying to find out like what happened here. It's like I'm accusing you of doing it. And the, my reaction at times to that is, how dare you say that? Don't you know who I am? And don't you know how good I am? You should never assume that I've done anything bad because I don't do anything bad. That's how I act at times. I do poorly at times, receiving minor, very minor, very silly injustices. But Peter... And Christ, behind Peter, calls us to act, to think and act radically different than that. He calls us to endure these injustices with our eyes on the Lord, to follow in the footsteps of our Savior. And He lived enduring the greatest injustice as He set His sights on God. He endured endured those injustices for His Father and for our sake. And he entrusted himself to, to him who judges justly. An important truth here. The Savior endured injustices because his eyes were on God. The one who judges justly. He knew, he lived in light of the fact that there is one who is over all these situations who judges justly. There is one who will at the end rightly punish wrong, rightly reward right rightly decide what went on, what was right and what was wrong, and act in response to that. And that reward and that punishment in the end is the ultimate one. And, and, and all the others are minor. And so he lived with his eyes looking beyond the injustice of the cross to the Father who judges justly. And we know what the verdict was. After he laid down his life for sins, the Father raised him from the dead in the power of the Spirit. 
The Father judged justly for the Son and has set Him at His right hand and He will judge everybody. He is the King. The Father judges justly. The Son endured that injustice because His eyes were on the One who judges justly. And so if we are to walk in Christ's steps, we must have Christ's perspective. We must set our sights on He who judges justly. Knowing that at the end of it all, He will determine just how things should be handled. We don't have to do it. We don't have to be so diligent to be Batman now. But instead, endure that injustice with our eyes on Him. There are things we're called to. That's another message. But our first and predominant attitude needs to be like Christ. Enduring injustice with our eyes on God. If we are to learn to drive like Jesus and relate to our family like Jesus and relate to authority structure like Jesus, we have to ultimately, we have to set our sights on the One who judges justly. Know that the only judgment that ultimately matters is the one our Heavenly Father makes. And the final judgment will be just and ultimately right. It will right all wrongs and reward all rights. And it must be for that day that we live this day. George Whitfield was an 18th century evangelist. At the time of his life and after, there were three famous Georges. We'll put that up in a minute. George the King later George Washington and George Whitfield. Of those three, the most famous was George Whitfield. And he lived in a day of incredible popularity and also great controversy. There were those that loved him and those that hated him. And speaking about his life in this perspective, he said, you can put it up now, I am content to wait till the judgment day for the clearing up of my reputation. And after I am dead, I desire no other epitaph than this. Here lies G.W., what sort of man he was, the great day will discover. He lived for that day. And so he could say later in his life, let the name of Whitfield perish, but, the, but Christ be glorified. And that actually is what has happened. Hardly anyone knows about this man now. But on that day, I believe, many will know about George Whitfield. That is how we are to live. Like George Whitfield, like Christ. His example, his pattern of living, also his grace. Peter continues, says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sins and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is directly out of Isaiah 53. This is actually the verse that led me to Christ 27 years ago. And this is a verse that has led me to Christ today as well. We are to ground our lives in the truth here, the wonderful good news of Christ, the Gospel. It's really only in the Gospel that we can make sense of injustice in the world. Only in the Gospel can we find the confidence and joy to endure injustices. Only in the Gospel can we get a real sense of proportion and perspective about injustices and life itself. The Gospel is like a pair of glasses for an extremely nearsighted person. We, without those glasses, try to feel our way around life, bumping into things, not beholding things well. We put the Gospel glasses on and all of a sudden we see. And we see what's beautiful. We see where things are. The Gospel functions that way and certainly in relationship to injustices, 
It must function that way. It allows us to see true beauty. It allows us to navigate life. And when we understand and consider the Gospel, we can understand and relate to injustice. Because our Savior left us this pattern, but also our sins are paid for. Our wounds are healed by what He went through. He went through this gross and great injustice. And by His death, through His resurrection, we are reconciled to God. We are forgiven. He was unjustly treated, so we don't have to be justly treated. Because there's more to justice than just getting what we think we deserve. Actually, it's about getting what you deserve. There's a side of justice that says, yes, indeed, a husband should love his wife and lay his life down for his wife. There's a side of justice that says, yes, indeed, parents are to love and instruct instruct their children. There's a side of justice that says a boss must rightly compensate an employee, that says a government must truly care for its citizens. But there's another side of justice that says wrongs must be dealt with. When someone does wrong, it must be dealt with. There must be consequences of wrong done. And the other side of justice for us is that we have done great wrong to God. That God has made us and created us and surrounded us with provision and plenty. He's been good all the time. And we in our sin have rejected Him and rebelled against Him and said, no thank you, I want anything but you. Our rebellion against God is deep and serious. It's what drove people to crucify Christ. And left to ourselves, we would be no different. There has been a great injustice done to Christ by us. And the other side of justice calls out for the consequences for our sin. And the Bible says clearly the wages of sin is death. The right consequences for sinning against God, for rejecting His ways and His rule and relating to Him, is death. Death is being banished from His presence. There's a physical aspect to it, and even more seriously, serious, there's a, a... Spiritual aspect to it. Death is being banished from the presence of the King. And we experience that in this life. And if we continue in our rebellion, we will experience it forever. That's what the Bible calls hell. Justice demands that. And the other side of justice says that there is a penalty that we must pay. But in His amazing mercy and love, The Son, with the Father and the power of the Spirit, said, I will suffer this injustice. I will bear the sins of my people so that they don't have to suffer justice. And that puts every other injustice in perspective. My sins have been paid for by Christ. No one will ever sin against me in the way that I have sinned against God. He took that sin and He paid for it. I am forgiven and loved, and healed. I was a wanderer. I was strained. I was a sheep gone astray. And He has brought me back. And now He is my King. And now He is my Shepherd. I'm healed. I'm reconciled to Him. This great justice that my sins deserved have been dealt with by Christ's death on the cross. So now I can live in Him and I can turn and give patience and mercy 
and love to those that are unjust to me. So when the motorcycle rider is on my tail, the Gospel says, let him pass you. Pray for him as he goes. The Gospel says, bear with your husband. Pray for him. Speak truth and love in time. But bear with them. Love them. Give good for evil. Pray for your boss. Help your parents. Understand them. The Gospel teaches us all these things. We have everything in Christ. If the band could come up as we close. What can man do to us? There's no injustice that will really harm us. We belong to the Lord. We're forgiven. We're healed. We're with Him. He's our King forever. Romans 8 says, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. So let us endure injustice with our eyes on the Lord. Let us endure these many situations we will find ourselves in. Whether it's a parent, a sibling, an angry spouse, the armchair quarterback husband, a boss, even church leaders as they goof up trying to learn how to lead and serve effectively. Let us endure these things. Why? Because of the Gospel. Because of Christ's example. Because it is a gracious thing in God's sight. Lord, we all have real specific situations that this truth applies to. I pray You'd bring those things to mind. And I pray by Your Spirit You would bring conviction and fresh faith and repentance to endure injustice with our eyes on You, Lord. Change us, O God, we pray. Bring glory to Your name. Bring joy to our hearts and blessing to others as we do these things. Amen. Before we sing, I just want to encourage, let's just take a minute. Because I I do think there are very specific things that God wants to address. I, I don't think there'd be any of us who escape this Word today. So, I know you have notes. uh, Perhaps write it down or even just quietly before the Lord. Consider what is one area where you have not endured injustice in a godly way. And now God is calling you to respond in light of this truth. Let's take a minute to do that and then we'll close in song.